Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's a roller coaster. You know, I have good days and bad days. And I would be lying if I said that I've got this all sorted. None of us have ever experienced this. Hello and welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. I'm Claire Hatton. And I'm Greta Thomas. And we're on a mission to help you achieve your goals. We're all about sharing the secrets of the world's most innovative and pioneering successful women. Hear their uplifting stories and practical advice right here. Yes, right here. And if you're enjoying this podcast, then why not sign up for our newsletter at hello at don'tstopusnow.co and keep listening for this week's latest episode. Hello and welcome to another week in the age of coronavirus. Wherever you're listening to us from, we hope you're safe and well and not doing it too tough. Yes, indeed. These truly are extraordinary times. And in fact, we're coming to terms with the fact our local government here in Sydney, where we both live, has said we're in lockdown until the end of June. So we're just processing that this week. We sure are. 90 days, and who knows if there'll be more after that or not. And of course, this is being repeated in many different places around the world. And so Businesses of all types are facing enormous pain as their revenues come crashing down, in some cases radically. And of course, we're no different. Our leadership development business has been affected too, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. It's funny how nobody wants face-to-face leadership training in the next quarter. I know, I wonder why. Yeah, no idea. (laughs) Anyway, that's one reason why we wanted to let you know we've made the decision to accept very limited advertising onto our podcast. The podcast has been a labour of love for us, but it does take up a lot of our time. So we do hope you will understand and support us as we test out just one or two ads in each podcast. But don't worry, we're not planning on interrupting our conversations midway or anything like that. No, exactly. We really care about your listening experience. So having shared that with you, I'm excited now to turn our attention to today's episode, which is with the dynamic and renowned Australian entrepreneur, Naomi Simpson. We've actually turned this interview around faster than usual because we really wanted to share Naomi's thoughts on coping with COVID-19 related disruption sooner rather than later. Now, Naomi, for those of you who are not familiar with her, co-founded online business Red Balloon nearly 20 years ago. Red Balloon is an aggregator of fantastic experiences that people can buy vouchers for from thousands of tourism and adventure operators around Australia and New Zealand. Its service is also popular with big businesses who use Red Balloon to incentivize and reward their staff. Yeah, and from starting the business at home with just $25,000 of her own money to today where the now Big Red Group has five separate businesses under its umbrella, revenue over $70 million and literally millions of experiences sold to today. And while Naomi no longer runs the business day to day, she is still heavily involved, as you'll hear shortly. She also is a shark 
on the Australian version of the TV show Shark Tank and has written two books and is a regular keynote speaker. And today you'll hear Naomi talk about how she's feeling in these uncertain times and her advice to leaders dealing with COVID-19 consequences. Her experience of stepping out of the company after splitting from her husband only to later secretly buy the company bag. While you'll always see her wearing something red and what Naomi looks for when startups are pitching to her for investment. Without further ado, enjoy this episode with the super positive and impressive Naomi Simpson. Naomi Simpson, welcome to Don't Stop Us Now. Oh, great to be here. Thanks for having me. Oh, we're very excited to have you on the show. And of course, we were due to be meeting in person, but thanks to COVID-19, for the obvious reason we're now doing this remotely, how have you been doing through all of this as it continues to evolve in the last few weeks? It's a roller coaster. You know, I have good days and bad days. And I would be lying if I said that I've got this all sorted. None of us have ever experienced this. I am by nature a positive person. It's one of my strengths. So when I do have a down day or a particular adverse something's happened or just feeling desperately sad, you know, and a lot of people anywhere on the planet are just grieving. They're grieving and anxious about what they knew their life to be and wondering if and when it'll come back and in what form. So I think we need to really acknowledge the humanness and the very uncertainty that all of us face. But as long as the sun keeps coming up the next day, I will keep looking to the future and being as agile as I can. Yeah, I think you're right, sort of acknowledging both the impact, but then also acknowledging that none of us know how it's going to play out. So focusing on the here and now and what we can control seems to me. And the fact that the sun will come up. That the sun will come up. That's true. Yeah. And the sun is glistening more than it was. Just all that lack of pollution that's being created, I guess, yeah. The carbon footprint is plummeting. There are some silver linings. Yes, there will be, but it's very hard for people to see those now when they're anxious, unsure, feeling vulnerable. And so we as leaders need to be very aware of the language that we're using and be empathetic and also support people with emotional resilience. Yeah. And how has that played out with your business, the Big Red Group? How have things changed? We're a part of the tourism industry and we represent 2,000 small businesses, many of which I've worked with for 20 years and many of which now have had to stand down their employees and have had to set aside their life's work. And so that is very, very challenging. Yeah, absolutely. It's just so uncertain, isn't it? What's your advice been to your team? I guess as a leadership team, the first thing we're doing is really that ethos around emotional resilience. So first of all, are people safe? And we look to kind of three things. One is physical safety because people are working from home and when they're setting themselves up from home, what is that like? Because they have to be work safe as well, even though they're working from home. Very important. So safety, their physical safety, their emotional safety, which is difficult when people are so anxious and then how we're supporting people maybe with counseling services and so forth because particularly around isolation with a lot of people working at home on their own and not seeing anybody and thirdly on the safety issue is obviously financial safety and that is very very stressful and we are doing everything we can to keep 
our team together and employed. And we're hopeful for the government coming out with some more things to support employers such as ourselves. The second thing is about belonging and making sure that people do belong and they're a part of something bigger than themselves. So we've really outlined to all of our team the economic impact that because of the work we do, what impact that has on our community. So for every dollar spent on an activity, it's likely to drive $10 in economic value. And the third element of what we're doing is making sure that their work matters. There's actually never been a better time to recognise your people and make sure that their work matters. Yeah, I really like that. I particularly like the focus on safety because it's just absolutely fundamental, isn't it? You know, talking about the situation and, and looking at you as a leader, I'd love to now sort of go a little bit towards your childhood and really understand you as a person, if that's okay with you. Yeah, sure. And you've got such a positive and constructive outlook in life. I mean, whenever I see you, you've always got this big beaming smile on your face. When you think back to your childhood, were you always like that? Yes. Was that just your nature or was there something in the way that you were nurtured? Well, if you ask my mother, who is probably a better judge of this than I am, she said I was born laughing. I couldn't be bothered walking and I would just sit in my high chair laughing at everything. She (laughs) said, you never stopped. You know, she said, you sit back, observe the world, see the best in everything and always have. However, in saying that, one of the things that I do know is I had strong role models. So my father started his own business. I know other people who started my business. So whilst I might be innately positive, I also had good functional and technical role models. And my mum worked on one of the first computers in Australia. So was a you know a leading businesswoman in her time working for a great Australian entrepreneur by the name of Lindsay Catamol and her business was Aspect Computing. So, you know, I had good strong role models as well. And I think between the role model and innately just being positive, I think that that's come together. And not to say I'm always happy. Happiness is one of those fleeting emotions, but I do know how to dust myself off, but I feel very fortunate that that I am loved and that makes it easier. And how would you describe your childhood? Oh, I had such an average middle-class upbringing, going to the local primary school and the local high school and, you know, going on camping holidays for two weeks a year at summer with my parents. And my sister and I had a very uneventful and average middle-class upbringing, which as an entrepreneur is odd as well, because many entrepreneurs are first generation, first generation or immigrants. And that's because they're innovative and they've come to a land of opportunity or they see opportunity and they have to come from a space of nothing. So even being a middle-class female is odd for an entrepreneur. Well, you weren't always an entrepreneur though, were you? Because you spent, I think about, was it about 15 years in the corporate world? Yes, it seems like a long time ago now, but yes, I had a corporate career in marketing for IBM and an airline called Ansett in Australia and Apple in its early days. What did that corporate career teach you? It taught me so many things. One was that I wasn't made to be in corporate because I'm an ideas girl and I learned a lot about who I didn't want to be as a manager and only in hindsight do I now understand 
that those leaders and managers, particularly the general manager of the airline, he would walk through and not look at anybody in the eye. And I never understood that when people were getting up so early to make sure that those airplanes got off and he never looked at them in the eye. And I understand now why. And that was because of fear. He was fearful that if he said something, then those employees might go to their union. And fear is not a way to operate as a leader. But I didn't understand that until years after I left. And then from that enterprise, then I went to Apple. And Apple was completely purpose-driven, values-driven, performance-driven, you know, and I could not believe the difference in how much work could get done uh, being truly customer-focused. So, yeah, big lessons in working inside other people's businesses. And fantastic to have such a contrast so that you can actually learn by comparing which modus operandi works best. And what made you start your baby? What made you start Red Balloon? Well, I had babies. and (laughs) Yeah, sorry. So I wanted to spend some time with my kids. And, you know, it sounds so naive now, but running an online business, I didn't realize I would be what the enterprise it is now, but also that I could work on that and play with my kids. And I'd been a freelance marketer when I left corporate life just for a few years. And what I found is when I was offering this marketing advice to people, They didn't see it as a marketing plan. They saw it as a shopping list. And it used to drive me spare that I would do a marketing plan with 20 action items over a three-year period. And they would kind of say, oh, well, we'll do the brochure and we'll do the this and we'll do the that. And I'm going, no, it's about a consistent execution of building a brand over a long period of time with small, consistent messages. And they go, yeah, but we can't afford it. What I learned from that is they want customers. They also need brand, but often don't understand the value of brand. And Brands have never been more important than they are when the economy is in duress as it is now. Brands are really, really important. So I flipped the business model. I gave a brand to an industry, which is experiences and with Red Balloon, gift experiences. And what I did know they would pay for as customers. So effectively, Red Balloon and now the big red group because we have more more brands, we are the marketing partner We are the marketing company. So we have the -the state-of-the-art AI tools able to look at consumer sentiment, understand where customers might lie, and then acquire those customers on the behalf of. And the other thing is then we can become the conduit for a corporate business. So Commonwealth Bank, I can't go to the local jet boat. The jet boat guy can't go into Commonwealth Bank and go, would you like to buy, you know, 15,000 jet boat tickets? But... I can go in there and say, would you like to buy 15,000 red balloon vouchers that people can redeem on one of 2,000 different activities depending on people's personal choice? It puts us in an incredibly unique position of being the conduit between audiences, corporates, businesses, and also these small business suppliers. I'd like to really go back to that time when you were working out of your front room, I think, and you had $25,000 in cash to fund the business. What was it like? How would you describe that sort of experience of starting that business? It's such a blur. <laughs> it's just a blur. <laughs> In some ways, I don't even remember. It was just hand to mouth. I had two small children, so I was sleep deprived anyway. I just sat at my computer bashing away. I remember my husband, who is no, no longer my husband, we were married for 20 years, but we separated, and him going, are you ever going to stop playing with that thing? Honestly, just 
give it a break. And so, you know, it was long and hard and a lot of work and a lot of trial and error. What was good is there wasn't a lot of online businesses, which I didn't realise at the time was a good thing. So we got some airspace. What was not so good is we didn't have any of these amazing cloud-based software systems. I mean, social media wasn't even invented in those days. But it's just a blur. I don't know. I just did one thing after the other. Some worked, some didn't. But what did work was being persistent and not giving up and picking myself up and just keep going. Yeah, I can hear that energy in you. Yeah. Did you ever doubt yourself? Um, everybody kept saying what a good idea. Even my mum, she said, that's a great idea, sweetheart, but never bought anything. <laughs> and so I was like, yeah, thanks for telling me everybody's a great idea, but could you buy something, please? It took 15 months before it got traction enough for me to go, right, this could really, really fly if I do it properly. So it took a while and just persistence and... You know, I had to be a generalist of everything. Yeah. I think that's the thing about being small business. You have to do the accounts. You have to load the product. You have to take photographs. You have to, you know, you have to do everything. And as the business got bigger, how did your challenges change? I think as a leader, it changes because it needs a different energy and structure. You can't live on pure energy and positivity alone. Systems and processes allow you to scale a business. So I think that that's important. I separated from my husband and he owned 50% of the business. So that was a very challenging time for for a long time until with business partner, David Anderson, we created the Big Red Group and we actually bought Red Balloon. I bought my own company and that's a whole nother story. Because you actually stepped out of the business in 2011, didn't you? Yeah, as part of that separation, I I was happy not to be CEO anymore. Also, I think the business had outgrown me and it needed a different view. I think I'm self-aware. People think I don't, but I do know my strengths and my non-strengths. I learn one thing. I rush back to the office. I'm like, let's go, let's go. But apparently you need a plan. You've got to execute on your plan and then you move to something else. Well, I'd like to have all the ideas going at all the time. So so it was time anyway, and then I more moved to up being on the board, which and it allowed me to do Shark Tank and write books and you know be a speaker and do all the other things which I love and enjoy. And now David Anderson is the group CEO. So, I mean, I'm working operationally more right now because it's all hands on deck. And I can imagine you're particularly hands on now. How scary or not was it to orchestrate a deal to buy back your own company? Well, he didn't ever know it was me, so that worked. Uh, <laughs> Fantastic, yeah. It took a long time and that's a – but David, my business partner, and I had known each other for many years, trusted friends. He's worked in m for a very long time. We both saw the potential of the growth of the experience economy and we couldn't understand why Red Balloon wasn't growing more when every indicator was telling us that people want more experiences, not less. So it was based on that thesis that we said, right, well, why don't we roll up a number of players who are at mid-size so that we get some material size into our business and then we can invest in the capital required to make a state-of-the-art technology and we did a tech transformation, which we continue to work on and are pushing through really hard now, actually really hard, whilst all this is going on is to get to the other side of our tech transformation. Naomi, I know for many years now, you've had really quite a diverse portfolio and you talked a little bit about the various parts of that. But one of them 
which is how many people in Australia might have heard your name, is the business pitching TV show Shark Tank. Thinking of your role as a judge on Shark Tank, what have you learned about what makes a brilliant pitch? (laughs) A brilliant pitch is not about the words that you use. It's about understanding who you're pitching to and why. If you think about the best pitches that you've ever seen at Shark Tank, what have they done that has helped them really resonate with you? It's because they will understand the value that they see me able to bring to that. There's some key elements that I always look for. Like the most obvious one is could I work with you because life is short. I am looking for somebody who's passionate, who's persistent, who's positive, you know, all the things we've spoken about, but also who gets what purpose really means. And purpose is about contribution. Purpose is about making the world a better place. Purpose is about what you give, not what you get. And for them to understand that is really important. I look for who they are as a person and their value set. But most importantly is to understand the job they're being hired to do. Would somebody pay for this? And then how have they tested that thesis? that somebody would pay for it. And having seen 400 pictures on a TV set, I got pretty good at picking who I wanted to work with as well. I picked some not-so-good ones and some good ones. And anyway, it's all in the spirit of television. (laughs) (laughs) And how much time do you then have to spend with each of those businesses after, let's say, you've decided to invest in them? It varies completely. I've still got several of the investments and one, he sends a half yearly update to his shareholders and that's that. And if he wants something, he sends an email and say, can you help me with X? And I've got another one from series one. So that means it's five or six years down the track and we still have monthly one-on-ones. So you know, this is the thing when that people don't realize is after the cameras stop rolling. These people are in our futures for a long time. Difficult for us when we didn't know how many series we were getting in terms of investing in the resources that we needed to help support us with that. Yeah, it's a big commitment. It's a massive commitment. Yeah. Speaking of commitments, I know you've written two books and you're a massive thought leader on LinkedIn and you do speaking. What drives you? What's the sort of the messages that you're really keen to get at? If I think about Live What You Love and Ready to Soar, both of those books probably come from my personal motto, which is if it's meant to be, it's up to me. And that's probably never been more important than it is now because there is no point blaming anyone for how we find ourselves. No matter what, we all just are. And blame is very damaging versus this is my set of circumstances, now what can I do? And it doesn't mean you have to do all the work. But taking responsibility for who you are has been freeing for me over the years. So if I look at my two books, Live What You Love came from LinkedIn asking me to write a post about what would you tell your 22-year-old self. I started writing and, you know, a blog post is usually 600 words and at 6,000 I thought I had a bit of a problem. (laughs) 18,000 words I asked a publisher friend of mine you know, what she thought. And she said, just keep going. Let's see how we end up. If you get to 72,000 words, we've got a, a book. But I was really clear about who I was writing it for. I was writing it because so many people have said to me, I'm just not sure of my purpose and I want to find purpose. And I think right now, a lot of people might have a bit more time on their hands and they might say, okay, 
On the other side of this, what do I want? And purpose, by the way, might be just feeding yourself or having a roof over your head. And that was Condoleezza Rice that said that. Mm -hmm. You know, it doesn't need to be a big, lofty purpose. It might be having Wheaties on the table. It's not about did I save the world. It's about how can I look after myself, then my family, then my community, and then the broader broader group. So that was the first book. And the second book was I realised, Ready to Soar, something like more than half of Australians have got an idea. Like we're a country of innovators, but it doesn't mean they're meant to be business people. And having watched all of those pitches, and I get pitched all the time, I still get pitched. And if I say, oh, that's a great idea, they might spend their whole life savings on it, but they personally weren't the right makeup to be an entrepreneur because it's full of twists and terms, ups and downs, and not necessarily the thing. So ready to soar, I wrote for all the people who have an idea to kind of work through the scenarios. And I just got a beautiful email literally last week from somebody said, we took the time to read your book as a family. We now know that this is a long road. We had the misunderstanding it was a quick road, a quick shortcut. And so even that I think is an important contribution to make. But both books come from my a stance of if it's meant to be, it's up to me. My job was to give my experience in, in a format that might support people on their own journey of taking responsibility for their lives. Oh, love that, love that. And you are high profile. We've seen you on Shark Tank or on stages or the covers of your books. And one thing that we always see when we see Naomi Simpson is a splash of red. Tell us the story behind that. Look, it might sound odd, but 15 years ago, somebody said I look good in red and it just became a uniform and it also reinforced Rebellion. And as I became a keynote speaker, what we need to do as speakers is make the audience as comfortable as quickly as possible because we cannot distract them. And so if I wore a uniform, which is a red dress, they go, oh, that's that's that red balloon lady or that's that lady from Shark Tank or whatever. And it actually makes people feel comfortable because they know who I am. And it makes my job easier because I just got a bunch of red clothes and I just put them on. It just became my thing. And the challenge for me now is if I don't wear red, people go, are you okay? <laughs> Nothing wrong with the business? You know, I go, nah. I'm... So There must be days where you really don't feel like wearing red. Well, I don't wear red on weekends because yeah. I'm not working. It's just, a, it's just a uniform. I'm sitting here though you know, housebound and I've got a red top on. Yeah, you do. <laughs> exactly. You've got so many aspects to your world. What are your, you know, tips for getting so much done? Oh, I don't know. I read this great book years ago by Gary Kellett called The One Thing. And the one thing is when you look at your to-do list and you review it of all the things you would like to get done, what is the one thing that when you do it, everything else will become easier? Yeah. And so my one thing for a while was writing that Ready to Soar book because then with everybody, you know, well, I shouldn't say anybody, but my everybody, but my inbox full of mentoring requests and so forth or will you invest in my business, I'm like, have you read my book? And that was a one thing that answered that question responsibly but also contributed. And so, you know, obviously we're in the middle of, this crisis right now, but what does success look like to you in the next sort of two, three, four years? Well, we know that when people have experiences, they connect with people who are important to them. And I am concerned and increasingly concerned 
now that we're in this circumstance, is that we're so busy connecting digitally, we've disconnected physically and emotionally. And so when people do experience together, the shared experience builds something completely kinesthetic with humanness. And so we believe that the more experiences people do, the better off we will be, as long as they're sustainable. So at the Big Red Group, we shift the way people experience life. And we'll know that we're successful if by 2030 we are serving an experience sustainably every second, somewhere on planet Earth. And I would argue this is about us moving towards the notion of the good life. And the good life is only going to be a good life if we have a healthy and clean and sustainable planet. Absolutely. And a question that we like to ask all our guests, and it's a little bit similar to the question that I think LinkedIn asked you, is what advice would you give your 30-year-old self? My 30-year-old self? Yes. Um, that was only last year. I can't remember. <laughs> exactly. Look, what I would tell myself is to breathe and to really invest in some of the softer things. I used to run marathons and do all of these things. Actually, I needed to do yoga. I needed to counterbalance my very busy work life with something at a different speed. So something that was really mindful. I would tell myself that it was okay to be still, okay to reflect and to work on the important, not rush to the urgent. I spent a lot of my 30s rushing, like rushing and worried and running around. So I would say be calm. And I would say that to people now, whilst we are in uncertain times, the greatest thing you can do for yourself is to be calm, to breathe, to reflect and to choose very carefully what media you consume because you can't unsee things and it triggers us emotionally. It is designed to. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very wise advice. Well, Naomi, thank you so much for such a wonderful conversation. We would love to be able to tell our listeners where they might be able to find out more about you and all of your portfolio, including the Big Red Group. Where would they go to find that? Oh, probably the easiest way is naomisimson.com. There's links off to every everywhere as you navigate through there. They can get the, my books there as well. And the other thing is if you wanted to just follow me on LinkedIn, I do write for LinkedIn. And, of course, anybody wants to have a little look at the Red Balloon website, uh, Mother's Day is coming. And even now with your global audience, of course, we have virtual experiences Absolutely. So you can have an Australian experience wherever you are in the world. So, you know, can't help myself, always the saleswoman. Always the saleswoman, but it's completely fantastic. And who wouldn't want to have a virtual experience of Australia? Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much again. It's been wonderful talking to you and good luck with everything that you've got to face with the, the Big Red Group. And... We will see you when we come out the other side. Yeah, and stay safe. Take care. Thanks, Naomi. Okay, see you both. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Take care. Bye. Bye.
You can really tell that Naomi is a master marketer and gets how to be customer-led, can't you? Yeah, you sure can. And I loved how she shared the story of why she chose the Red Balloon business model in the first place. You know, she figured out what small businesses valued most was getting new customers delivered to them. And so she figured out a business model where she was effectively a marketing engine for thousands of small tourism businesses. Yeah, it was really a brilliant move and very far-sighted on her part. Yeah. You know, I think it was one of the very first platforms or aggregators to actually do that. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I also so admire how positive Naomi's mindset is. She's such a can-do and get-it-done kind of person, isn't she? Yeah, I loved her mum's comment about saying she was probably born laughing. Yeah, hilarious. Well, that's this episode done and dusted. Don't forget to join up on our website, don'tstopusnow.co, as we've been holding some free live check-ins these past couple of weeks, and we'd love to see you there. We certainly would. And stay tuned for our next episode, focused on this sadly all-too-topical theme right now of how to respond when you lose your job or key income. Should be really helpful. Ciao for now. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.